When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the true story of a New York City boy with big town hopes and small neighborhood dreams of becoming BFFs with the Real Housewives and other Bravo celebrities. Then, one day, that dream actually came true. Let me take you behind the velvet rope. Hey guys, this is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined from all the way, 3,000 miles away on the left coast, Mr. Cyrus Yarbrough. How are you? Good, man. How you doing? And I should say, most people know you from the real world Boston and the challenges. Okay. Yeah, I've done a few. Uh, Boston was quite some time ago, so I'm sure you have some young listeners out there that may not know who I am, but if you were around in the 90s, you know who Cyrus is. Um, yes. Now, you, you are in California. Did I just make that up, or you really are? I'm from California, and I'm always going to be in California. This is are, I was raised here. You're from California. You're like... You, Santa Monica, to be exact. Wow. Yes. You love California. There actually is nowhere else. However, I'll move around and uh, looking at some properties in a couple other areas, but the same point in time, this is, this is where the home is. I get it. I'm from New York. I couldn't see it living anywhere else besides New York City. I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, some business may take me elsewhere. Um, and, you know, I've lived in Miami. I've lived in Austin and here and also Boston. But outside of that, L.A. is still unmatched. And I've been all over the world and I've been everywhere. 27 countries but I still haven't found anywhere that can, can actually compare to what Los Angeles has offered. Wow. I, I love LA. I, I would love to split my time between New York and LA. I think that's the perfect life. Oh, bi-coastal is the way to go. If you can do that, that is definitely the way to go. It is the way to go. I can't deal with cold. So Really? Oh, no. I, I'm cool. T-shirt, shorts, year-round. Every now and again, I got to go to pants on to go to an event or whatever. But for the most part, T-shirt and shorts. That's it. And I'm like, I-, I love the cold. The fall is the best time here. You're probably one of those guys who likes to dress up, too. You put on a jacket, you layer it down. Yeah, see, I'm a sweaty guy. I'll just be sweating through all that. <laughs> you just like the t-shirt and shorts. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to get into clothing and everything you have going on now. But let's, I always like to start at the beginning. I feel like we can't get to the current unless we start at the beginning. So let's take it all the way back. 
to when you were 25 years old in 1997, the real world. So how did, how did Boston come about for you? Um, the whole show, man, the concept and everything just came on by mistake. Realistically, it wasn't something that I was trying to do. It's something that I kind of fell into. I was actually trying to work behind the scenes. Um, it was right after college. I went to University of Hawaii, played basketball out there, graduated. It was first in my family to graduate and so forth. And when it was done, I was trying to find a job and it just wasn't that easy. And um, guys at the local basketball court got sick of hearing me talk smack about not finding a job. One guy's finally like, look, man, here's a number. Just call it. Go there. You'll get a job. I was like, well, you know, I need to make, what am I making? What am I going to be doing? He goes, I don't know. They'll hire you something in production. I'm like, cool. So I showed up and, and uh, interviewed. And long story short, everything you could possibly do wrong in an interview, I did. And it ended up being the right things for the show. And toward the end of that interview, um, after telling my life story, I watched them laugh. I watched them cry. And uh, they told me I should be on the show. And I just responded with, can I get paid? And that's kind of where it started. So you went for a production job at MTV? At Bunamari Productions, which is the production company that does uh, the Kardashians, the real world, and all that stuff. So, yeah. Wow. And they're like, no, this, this, what did you do wrong during the interview? <laughs> well, to start, um, I had, uh, let's just say three or four different copies of resumes. Um, and there was one geared toward, it was so bad. It was one geared toward 250 things that I would do for work. And then there was one that was completely out of the pocket that was geared toward what I had done, which was just work with kids. Um, and uh, she sent me into a room to type this business letter but before that, there's like five people interviewing me. And I'm like, this is, this is weird. And I was like, whatever. Sit in the room to type the business letter. I go in and I peck away my two fingers, typed it up, took quite some time, couldn't figure out how to make the computer print. I was losing my mind. Now I'm in there in a three-piece suit. It's 116 degrees outside. I'm dripping sweat. And uh, this girl walks by and I was like, honey, you have only one option and that's to come in here and help me. And she saw the desperation and she came in and I was like, now it's in there. Just make it print. She, boop, and the damn thing prints. And we talked for a second and she gave me her number and took off. And that was that. And I got myself together, went back in the room. And they were like laughing. They were like, we thought you left. I was like, damn, I took that long. And she was like, yeah, well, let me see your resume anyways. I was like, okay. Anyone ever tells you that you're not getting a job. So I walk over there, man, and I sit down and uh, I reach in my bag handed her a business letter and she kind of pushed it to the side and I handed her my resume. And this resume is geared toward just working with children. And when she gets it, she's like, tell me about yourself. And I'm like, you know, play college basketball in Hawaii, blah, blah, blah. She's like, no, no, no. Tell me about you. So I went way back and I was like, well, I've been on my own since 15 years old. I just moved out. Um, my stepdad went to jail. My mom had to move to the hood. We lost everything. And um, the hood was not a good look back then. It was really bad in Inglewood. They call it Ingle Watts. And after seeing my second or third dead body right in front of me, and uh, they stole the city bus, I moved out. So I told her the story about living on my own, living by myself. And she's like, no, no, I want to know about you. So I took it way back to the day I was born, which was a blessing in itself. Um, I was born just outside of Atlanta, a city called Conyers. And it was on a Sunday. My mom had me really young. And the... They had a black ambulance and a black 
cursed, I guess, whichever way you want to put it. It was on a Sunday, so they were using the black one, I guess. Uh, the white one was messed up, and they got the black one back, and the black one gives out a gas with me in it. She goes into labor, and uh, literally on a dirt road, we give out a gas, and they said I came out right there. Mom says I popped out like a bottle of champagne, literally right out. My dad passes out. Grandma catches me, and they do the whole thing, and, and uh, they flag down a car driving by. We all pile in that car and go to the hospital. And the, uh, they literally thought I was going to die. And they had issues and they came out and they snipped the cord in the parking lot and ran me in. And, uh, you know, the head's a little flat in the back, they say, because they had to send me, set me on the center console while we were driving and so forth. And the story started there. And three and a half hours later, after watching them laugh and cry and take this journey with me, um, she only had one option. And that was to offer me to be on the show. Wow. And like, did you watch, like, did you, you knew what the real world was, right? Like you watched Everyone New York. It came out, it was a cultural phenomenon. Like everyone knew what the real world was. And I think that, um, you know, I, I, I got home, I remember. And um, girl I was dating at the time was not very enthralled with, with me having an opportunity to be on the show. When she heard the name of real, she was like, oh, hell no. Nah. And I was like, whoa. Now this is, a, you know, I tell you, this is one of the lowest points of my life only because I had done everything right up to this point. Cyrus, you play basketball. Cyrus, you will get a degree. Cyrus, you will, everything will be taken care of for you while you're in school. You can get the degree and get a job. And I wasn't able to achieve anything after that. It was kind of bothering me. You know, for a summer job, I was on Baywatch for years. A lot of people from college knew me from Baywatch because Baywatch is in my home city. And I had, a, you know, several different speaking roles. And I was up to be the first black lifeguard. So people always thought that I was good and fine and taken care of. I always looked decent or kept myself presentable. And um, people didn't think that a job was something that would be a problem for me, being a standout person in my community my entire life. Um, and it just kind of happened that I needed something like that and kind of pushed me over the edge. Yeah. Did, did you have any scenes with Pamela Anderson or David Hasselhoff? Plenty, all the time. I was up to be the first black lifeguard. In fact, I uh, got beat out by Tracy Bingham, if you know who that is. Yeah. This was the second year she was Miss Black Barbie. And uh, I mean, I look pretty good in the red Speedos, but I couldn't compete with that. <laughs> Seriously, what was Pamela Anderson like to work with or David Hasselhoff? I mean, you see all these people all the time out here. It's not like an uncommon thing. Uh, Pamela actually dated a friend of mine in high school, uh, from my high school, Eric Elderberry. They dated for quite some time. And, uh, you know, uh, Jeremy Jackson, Hasselhoff's son on the show, we see him at the club literally all the time. So what I was doing, when I didn't have a job, I was promoting nightclubs. So I'd be on set and all those beautiful hundreds of women there would be invited to my nightclubs. And that's how I kind of got started in the whole Hollywood scene and doing nightclubs and so forth. So it's like a, you know, killing two birds with one stone. No crazy fun Pamela Anderson stories. I mean, she's an icon. I mean, there's a few, I mean, you know, her doing her thing and, you know, hollering at, she never hollered at me like that per se, but some friends of mine, she, she definitely was uh, letting loose on several occasions on the table at the club. <laughs> Las Palmas, to be exact. I remember a few times her getting really out of control over there. But, you know, it's not an uncommon thing to see different celebrities like that doing their thing out here in L.A. on the regular. Totally. Did you have any, like, reservations about the real world? Like, once this girl said, hell no, or were you like, there's no question I'm doing this? Man, we went to sleep that night, and uh, we woke up. And I contemplated life and I realized that uh, 
it was a selfish thing for her to respond like that and do like that when she's seeing me go through. Like I tell people all the time, you know, I don't think I would ever commit suicide, but I understood why people did. Because when you do everything right and things don't work out for you, it's it's kind of disappointing, man. And, and you put yourself in a compromising situation where you start thinking these thoughts that aren't very healthy for you. And and personally, anyone that knows me know I'm not that kind of person, but I was to that point where I was like, damn, this is why people do this. And um, long story short, man, I, I, I pulled myself out of that situation and looked at it from the outside. And uh, two months later, the phone rang. And it was, you know, Murray at her house. They ended up being back over there. And she was getting in the shower and the phone rang. She told me to answer it. And I'm like, we're not together anymore like that. Like, why would I answer the phone? Da, da, da. Anyways, I pick it up at his MTV or being Murray. And they're like, hey, um, you never turned in an application. I was like, well, you didn't offer me enough money. And so what would it take to get you to come? I was like, you know, you tell me. And they changed the price. And next thing you know, I'm going in. It wasn't that much. But they assured me that the amount of money I was going to make made sense. And realistically, just to, so you know, and people out there that want to know, do you know how much we made for six months of filming? No, and I'm so curious because, like, it's so yeah. different today. Yes. Now, I had Eric Knees on this show recently. I forgot. And that was, okay, that was five years earlier. I forgot what he said. But for six months, I would say you made 2500 Damn, you think I'm mad, bro? That's bad. No, we made, what we did is we made about $300 a week and it was 24 weeks, I believe we filmed for. And so it was less than $10,000 we left with. And uh, the cool thing about that though, is when I think of that number, I vividly remember the day getting off the show, booking a gig and making more than I made in six months in about an hour and a half. And I knew what the next 20 years of my life was going to be doing being myself and, and marketing and promoting what I do and, and just getting things out there. So that's kind of how that happened. But it was, I think it's just crazy to think that they would, can get away with paying someone that little money. My response initially was like, slavery ended a long time ago. And they laughed and they were like, we thought you didn't have a job. Well, I don't, but I'm not working like that. And then it became this, this huge mental thing of understanding what marketing is and how I can position myself to do what I want to do. And like people don't get it nowadays because there's a million reality shows and people aren't really stars. But back then I finished the show. I walked through the club and Robert De Niro was like, Hey, what's up Cyrus? And Diddy's like, what's up Cy? And it's like, you know, you're, you're on the top tier with these people. When they're recognizing you, this thing was up to you first. So going through that kind of thing for me, I was like, the sky is going to be limited. I'm going to definitely do some things with this. So, like, a Diddy, like, recognized you from watching the real world, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. People recognize Wahlbergs and Diddy's. I mean, it's, the list is endless. Um, but it's just one of those things where, for a nice chunk of my life, I was that dude. And I was able to navigate through life and, uh, and, and present something to people that they wanted. And it was like, we we're so attainable uh, to a lot of people at that time. This is before social media we were still very attainable and people knew where we were and how to hang out with us and how to get near us and how to book us. And I was making myself and I started booking me and every other random reality person uh, throughout the world. And I made, literally made a business out of it. Did you watch any of the other real worlds before you were on it? Like New York or LA? I watched New York and I watched Venice. Um, and during my show, I wasn't 
supposed to, but whenever I got away, we definitely checked out um, uh, Miami because Miami was airing when we were there doing that. Yeah, I'm still friends with, with Dan, not as close as we were before, but me and Dan are still friends. And uh, Beth from the second show, we're still friends. Oh, I'm sorry, the third show. And me and Rachel were always friends too from uh, San Francisco. Were you shocked, like, when you got there, like, the firehouse? Like, what were your first impressions of the other housemates? Um, I think when I got there, it was, uh, it, the whole thing was just shocking at the fact, the way we were introduced to the house and each other, and, and just the way the ta taxi cab picked me up. It was just really weird. Um, they just dropped my bags in the snow right there. Like, I'm like, dude, these are four humongous bags. I can't carry that. And two guys are walking down the street and they look at me and they're like, what the hell is going on? They see all the cameras and then they see no one helping me. They grab a bag. I was like, this is awesome. And we have to walk like half a block to the firehouse. And I remember walking. I was like, this is dope. Like, this is going to be really cool. And I was greeted by Jason and, um, and uh, Genesis, which was also really cool. And they ended up being my direct roommates too. So that was even better. Yeah. Do you keep in touch with anyone of the roommates from your season? Yeah. I mean, I spoke uh, on the show about uh, Santa Monica being one of the best cities in the world. And it's crazy because Elka, Jason, and uh, Genesis all lived like right in that same area for a while. And me too. And it was really, really interesting. Um, but I, me and Sean talk still, still friends. You know, it's okay to have different political interests and still be, you know, friends and whatnot. Um, but I think with the current climate, the way things are, there is clearly a, a line that's cut down the center of the screen. But I think if I called him today, he'd answer the phone. So we haven't talked in a little bit since all this got crazy. But I did organize a Zoom with all the Boston castmates together. That was pretty cool. Okay. Uh, for the first time since the show, we all got on the Zoom and, uh, and did our thing. It was really awesome. So, and Camila, you know, she's a doctor in New York. And, you know, during the time of COVID, it was crazy. And she actually found some time to get on. Montana lives not too far from here in LA, in the Valley. She has like a, I think a wellness meditation kind of center that she runs in the Valley. And um, Genesis has like, I think she builds websites and so forth, but does something with wines too. Tasty Vino, uh, I think is the name of her, uh, her site. And who else? Um, Jason has a casting company out here in LA too. He's in Encino now. And uh, Cornwall Casting, he's one of the only independent casting companies around. We've actually worked together on a few projects because a lot of people don't know, but I've casted 40 different shows and uh, commercials and movies and so forth. Since that's where I wanted to be when I got into the whole game, that's kind of where I've, I, I made a nice piece of steak in, in the land for a while there. And uh, yeah, everyone seems to be doing pretty good though. Elka is now in uh, Texas. She had a baby. She's back in Brownsville and she's doing really well. So there's like no hard feelings of resentment towards it between any of you? And not that I know of, but you know, me, let bygones be bygones. I never truly have any enemies in my life in general. Um, there's a few people that will hate just because you've been on television or what need be. Uh, but as far as I know, I don't have any enemies like that. And I can walk freely wherever I want to walk and do whatever I want to do, be it the most ghetto area to the ritziest area. I've always just pride myself on being able to walk in any situation and be fine. So, 
how do you find the filming process? Like the actual, like you're in the house, the cameras are there. Did you just get used to it right away? I mean, considering you wanted to kind of go into production and behind the scenes or was it really intrusive and you're like, oh my God, this is all being caught on camera. Yeah, it was cool. You know, I've been on camera all my life as a child. So commercial production been a part of. Been in LA, like it's kind of the thing that you take a stab at, you know, from, you know, Nike commercial to Adidas commercials to food commercials, school commercials, like all kinds of things I've been a part of prior to that. And then after doing Baywatch for so long, it wasn't really that big of a deal. And then also having the mentality in your mind that, that you have something that needs to be heard. Um, like I wish we were on a show one time like right now, because I felt like right now a lot in my life then. And, and I can only say that I had to pick and choose things that I would or wouldn't talk about, considering like the OJ Simpson trial. If I spoke how I felt about OJ, I would have had a lot of enemies, 100%. Um, yeah, I think he had something to do with the murder, for sure. But my, my, my ideals at the time weren't half as bad. I mean, she used to go to my clubs all the time. I grew up right in that area. You know, that's the Brentwood area. I'm in Santa Monica, which is neighboring cities. So for me, we would see her all the time at my club. She would literally come and be carried out by five football players on the regular. <laughs> and this is the real deal. Like, it wasn't even a big deal for us, but it's what was happening. And I think, um, you know, when you when the cameras are running and you have a story that you want to tell and you hear other stories that are complete opposite yours being told, it makes you want to divulge more information, dig deeper into your character, which is yourself. And if it's if it's entertaining, it is what it is. If it's not entertaining, then, you know. But on average, they have about 100 hours per person on camera. That's a lot of filming because you got to sleep at some time. That's a lot of tape they have of you. So the common misconstrued thing that I like to say is people say, oh, it didn't really happen or, oh, they made me do that. No, you fucked up. You need to live up to it. It's your fault if you're 18 or 19 and have no inhibitions. That's why people like me went on at 25. We already knew what we wanted to do and how we wanted to do it and how we wanted to portray ourselves and what we didn't want to do. Now, the cool thing about that is they lowered the age after us because they realized that. They're like, you know, I'm outsmarting production because I'm their age. <laughs> right. And I'm positioning myself a little better. You know, I'm not going to not give you a show, but to know Cyrus is to know that he has a good time. And I raged on a whole nother level, not just for the show, but for 20 years. That was, you know, my life and how I got down and what I did. I branded myself inside a party guy. And wherever I went and whatever I did, I brought a party. And Nicole Brown was at the clubs a lot. Where you used, did you used to hang out with her? Or we come to Savoy. Um, me and my man Stevie Love. We had a company called Peach Fuzz International. And what we did was we just gathered the, the, the prettiest, most, should we say, defined characters in the community, and got them to come. And we had everything from the UCLA volleyball team, you know, to USC's volleyball team, Pepper, all the colleges around there all those girls would come to this one location. Not to mention, we lived on the beach and had all those right there. It was just kind of situation where we created a brand and people liked to come to our functions and everyone had a good time, so. And you felt like when you were on the show, like you, if you spoke up about maybe your true feelings on OJ, you felt like there would have been. Oh, I know so, 100%. The day the, day the trial happened and uh, I was at my friend's work spot and I remember the cheers and 
cries went out when the verdict was released. And they basically said, you guys can all go home. You know, work's done for the day, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, and you can see all the, pardon my French, but all the white people there were literally livid. Brothers were cheering. Latin dudes were cheering too. And it was like, wow. And, you know, I mean, it is what it is. But what people don't realize in their minds is for the history of this country, they're known for killing everything that's not white on the regular. That's the way it is. Now, do I speak on it like that at that time? Hell no. People that came up my throat. Here I am, just graduated school and doing what I do. Nowadays, people like that controversy to create something out of it. I don't want that controversy, but I know what the truth is. The truth is, all these people that we worship, most of them should not be worshipped. From holidays on down, people are, I mean, what they've created is a monster that they can't even control. And they just lied so much about so many different things. And um, at that time, people weren't ready to hear the lies. People right now are calling lies out left and right. And there's so many lies in the system that it's just been accepted. The wait is over. That's right. Season five of The Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all-new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You know, shout out to my indigenous friends out there because I know today is National Indigenous Day too. And, you know, you just got to learn something about your country and learn the real. They teach us so much stuff that's so wrong in school. It is ridiculous, man. And if you actually look, they should be ashamed of themselves. Then again, they were trying to create something um, where they could stand out and, and be people that rule this. And, and they did a good job at that, like, you know, at, at fooling everyone and just lying about so much stuff. It's just, to me, it's just not cool. Why not just tell the truth? Could you imagine having gone through all this with social media now? Like, could you imagine if social media existed like when you were in the house or, I mean, right after you got out of the house? I'd be that guy. I'd be like a Kylie Jenner. I'd be that guy, 100%. Um, different times, different things. And, and, don't get it twisted. We were the forefront of all this. Half the stuff wouldn't, I don't think social media would be happening if it wasn't for reality TV. People wouldn't think that their lives are half that interesting. And honestly, most people's lives aren't. <laughs> so they live vicariously through people like us. Totally. You know? And were you, when the show came out and then you were, you know, you were portrayed as the ladies' man, we saw you dating one of the children's mothers. What did you say to your portrayal on the show? Like, okay, like, that's me. Or were you like, eh, this was edited a little off? If you knew me, you knew what I was going to do and knew I was going to have a good time. And, you know, whatever that meant is what was going to take place. You know, I always say my mom was okay with everything I'd done. I'm fine. And at that time, that made a difference to me. She was like, is that all that, is that, is that it? 
I was like, that's like a normal weekend. I was like, I know, man. <laughs> it's kind of like a weekday sometimes, but that's, you know, that was a lot at the time, so. And they fit people into these archetypes and it was just clear you were going to be the ladies' man and the player. That was your role. Well, I think, I think the stereotypes are there and they're easy for people to identify with. Um, is it going to be fun showing me in the park reading a book? Definitely not. That's not good television. It's going to be fun showing me at the club raging balls with bottles everywhere. And people are like, yeah, of course, they're going to show that. So that's kind of how it worked. If that wasn't your personality, and you wouldn't get that slot. I got that slot. I was fine with it. And I parlayed that further and further and further into what I did. I said I've been to every state at least 50 times doing random gigs, being paid to be me. I've done 27 countries. And, you know, it's, it was a lifestyle that I created and, and portrayed and actually lived it, though. There was no lies in my entire thing. That's what it was. This is Cyrus. How'd you... Rage balls. Well, I was going to say, like, how'd you know to do that? Like, when the show ended, like, how did you know to book an appearance? When the show was going on, I planted my seeds. Um, as you know, they don't give you money at that time, and you're kind of broke. We made $5 an hour working at that one East Boston Social Center. I basically took myself to the nicest restaurant Boston had to offer, was underdressed, was right before they opened, sat down and said, you know, I want the finest steak that you have and throw the primer within two and a nice bottle of red and white and bring me some cognac too. And by the way, tell your manager that, that I don't really have any money and he just come talk to me. And he comes over, can I help you? I was like, yeah, you know, I'm just out here doing my thing. And um, I think that I deserve this because I can bring you a lot of business. And he's like, what are you talking about? I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Since you act like you don't understand about when you get in the kitchen, tell everyone you have Cyrus here. And when I come back, I'm going to ask for double. And he's like, whatever. By the time I got to the elevator, I hear the screams go off. Ah! I was like, well, hit the elevator and left. And I told him I'd be across the street at his competitor. Went over there, walked in, greeted me with open arms, hugged, sat me down, started bringing me food, drinks, and whatnot. And the crowd around me was crazy. And he asked, what would it take to get you to stay here? I was like, yo. You give me a number. And he kept going until he got to the right number. And I said, yeah, call all your friends, call everyone, tell them that Cyrus is here and Cyrus will be here. And this is Cyrus's house. Within an hour, lying down the block. Drinks everywhere, because it was the first time they ever aired our names and what we looked like through the media before the show started. And where we lived. It was insane. I mean, a whole nother level. And uh, yeah, I'm sitting there, getting my head massaged, being fed food, at the bar, just loving life. And the cameras are like, wow. Once they got there, they're like, what the? I was like, it's not in the contract where I can't do this or this or this, so this is what I'm doing. And this is literally the first 48 hours. And, and I mean, essentially, you're like, you were an influencer before this term influencer. I mean, that's so what like an influencer does. And, and they, the money was amazing. And from that first day, Sam Adams ended up hiring me. Um, you can see in the background on the show, there's stacks of cases of alcohol. I mean, to the ceiling. And that was a high ceiling. And that was all because I set it up to where we can be paid, I think like 30 bucks an hour to just show up at these clubs where I had a $500 tab at every club that had Sam Adams. I would go from spot to spot to spot to spot and just get thrashed and have a, I'd be like the Potty Piper with my flute and all these people behind me going from spot to spot to spot, just raging ball. And I didn't go out a total of almost two weeks for the entire six months. Babe. Babe. 
You have to tell her you're locked in. I, I'm locked in, hon. I think it's so funny that your bedroom door is I, that's I've done that before. Well, I mean, I know. To your credit, though, like, how do you know how to do that? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, first of all, what a great life! Like, you're getting paid to go out and drink where you would be going anyway. It kind of, um, I think you, you you understand the ethics. I was being a promoter for years in there. I don't know if you heard of the world famous Century Club. That was one of my stops here in LA, and that was a, a, in this tiny microcosm of what we call nightclubs. That club will always stand out because of where it was located, the amount of people it could hold, and all the vibes that were in one. I had worked there for so many summers that I got how marketing would work. And the same reason why people would send me, you come by my house on any given day, there's big ass boxes waiting to come in the house on the porch from all these random companies that would just send me stuff. I've give, been given everything from a car on down, cars. But it, you know, it, it is what it is. I just had this vision in my mind and knew I could make it work. And in doing so, uh, you know, you, you, it got so big for me that MTV had to rile me in. So companies that were sending me stuff, they were, this, my take of it is that they were taking my ideas and going to companies getting product placement sponsorship. I beat them to the punch and was doing it. And so they were like, oh, you can't, you know, the, the show needs this. Lincoln gave me two navigators. So I made video games for a long time. They gave me two navigators with chariots they put behind them with lazy boys and huge screen TVs to tour through the country at all the major college basketball cities. I was making college basketball video games. And when they blocked that, I had, a, I think I had two, three-year leases on these things that they were giving to me for free. <clears throat> they stepped in and, and did their own thing and made it kind of not happen after it happened. I'm out. I'm free. She opened the door. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you just accidentally locked yourself in the bedroom. It's it's happened. It can happen. happen for you. I'm supposed to have my my sponsorship shades. I don't have them on. You look. <sighs> that's you business. Look that's business. <laughs> so I mean, it is what it is. Did MTV like freak out? Were they just like, oh, "What wait. are you doing?" I'm not sure if it was MTV or Ben and Murray that freaked out, but they were like, "What?" And I was like. If Adidas wants to give me a sponsorship and take care of me, why wouldn't I take that? If, <laughs> you know what I mean? If Lincoln wants to give me an navigator, why wouldn't I take that? Because I have the gift of gab and I'm able to show myself in whatever light um, that I need to be shown in in order to get to the next level. Why would you take that from me when you paid me peanuts to do this job? Thank you so much. You created a brand and you allowed me you know, the visibility in 109 countries. I wasn't just going to be a cast member. That's not all I am. I'm not just a personality. I'm someone that has the drive and the push to go from A to B and to make C, D, E, F. And they're like, what is going on? That's what I did. And, you know, for me, it was literally just one of those things where I want to go to the next level. I want to do what I want to do the way I want to do it. And, um, they didn't like it for whatever reason. Didn't stop me, just like on the show. They wanted me to stop doing things. And I'm like, show me where it says I can't do this. I'm doing it because I want to do it. Like, and, and it came down to a few situations where, what, you can't whoop me. So what you going to do? And that's an old older term. I'm aging myself. But you ain't going to fight me for this. 
And if you are, let's go. I'm not going to throw the first punch. It is what it is. And that's what it boiled down to. Even in the house, they, there were so many reservations where they wouldn't clean the house up and the house was just so nasty. And I was like, if you don't clean this house, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I don't care. You can call it disrespectful because to me, that's disrespectful. So I'm going to do what I want to do and you can't whoop me. And that was it. That was my take on the entire six months. And we did see both. We saw you doing what you wanted, the house not being clean. And we saw, yes, the producers asked you to stop dating the woman's, the child's mother. And you're just like more into it. It was more that we were friends before anything else. And we were friends and she helped position me to, to flourish in the city of Boston. Because it's not an easy place to get around. Um, primarily being a minority, you know, it's... It's, you know, my mom had reservations with me going there. She didn't want me to go just because of Boston's reputation. So, you know, it is what it is. But the way you did it afterwards, really, I mean, that is the best advice I've always said you could give someone on reality TV. It's like, you need to get out of it what is good for you because when your time is over, the network will say goodbye. It's time to move on. Like, Well, you know, of recent, they've uh, been knocking on different doors. And there's this new push for the we want OGs. And I guess I would be considered an OG. So they're talking about doing that. And, you know, I'm, I'm cool with it, man. Let's do it. Like, I'm ready to go. You're messing up my run today. I'm, I usually do my three to five miles right about now. But this is all good. I'll get it afterwards. Okay. I, afterwards, <laughs> I won't keep you too long. Wait, so who's... Who got time? Who got time? No rush. Who, who wants you, who wants you, like you think at MTV is talking to people about the OGs and let's do a real world? It gained some traction. And I know there was a meeting with, with Bean and Murray Productions. Mark Long is spearheading this. Um, you know, he's been active the entire time in television as well. Um, but he's been on the next level, I would say. Um, his hosting is all over the place. And uh, we both do a bit of writing and so like I've written several different shows. He's done the same. So, his traction and his relationship with Ben and Murray took him to the next level. And they've actually had meetings about this project that will be a challenge with only all of the OGs, not with us going against these little children nowadays, these little steroided up children, <laughs> which would be fun too. I don't care. Bring on whoever you want to bring on. I, I give two dams, but it will be kind of fun to see, you know, the OGs going against the OGs. I think that's a great idea. I think there should be a real world with just OGs. Uh, we've kind of pitched that kind of thing too. Me and Beth had a project that we were putting together, me, Beth, and Eric Nice. And we were meeting with, um, uh, who was it we met? Bravo. Uh, had several meetings with them about that project. And we'll see what happens. COVID's kind of changed the uh, outlook on a lot of different things, I think. But I think the market is still there and the market will, will probably always be there. And it was kind of like a real world type house with the OGs. Yeah, same same exact um, blueprint, but uh, you know, OGs. That would be a good project for Bravo. I think it'd be excellent, and and you know, Bravo pays real money too. So when you get down to that level of it, Bravo is they. I mean, they they pay their talent, and now it's a, you know people got lives and and so forth, so they really want to be paid for what they're doing. You know, the, the amount of money those people make is just another level. Do you ever look back at that like, oh, man, like, look how far reality TV has come just in terms of the salaries and what people are doing now? I mean, the challenges right now are 
a million dollars. Um, yeah, I want mine. <laughs> and I'm prepared to, you know, to go through what, we're, what, what we got to do to get it. You know, that is what it is, man. Um, you don't have to like everything that's taking place and you don't have to love what all that stuff is. But I think in the end, you realize opportunity is opportunity. Why would you shy away from the opportunity? You know, now, my, if my other half didn't want me to do something um, or thought I'd get hurt or didn't think it was a good look for me as a person, I just want everyone around me, especially her, to be honest about that. If you honestly feel like I shouldn't do this for this reason, this reason, this reason, then, then I, you know, I want to know that. But for the most part, if I deem something to be okay and she does, why wouldn't I? You know, that's just where I'm at. Um, and, you know, like, in this situation, I think you always need um, – you always need a, a conscience or another level to help you think through it. Being a competitor all my life, it's kind of like, why would I not want to go and compete? Well, if I'm going to break some bones, like, you, you also have to understand we get so many things thrown at us. Like, they pitched a show where they wanted me to fight some UFC dude. And the deal was, they were probably going to get more out of it than we would. We've been a low-level person, but he's had training. They were going to train us for like eight weeks, and we're going to go fight. I thought about doing it. Probably the dumbest thing I would ever done in my life. We got my ass whipped. And that's, I mean, you can really get hurt. So, so like, yeah. so like, you know, the mentality of someone that's into competing is, can be crazy. So glad that didn't happen. You know, I got my butt kicked on TV already. Derek took me out of a competition I thought I should have won. He took me out. We, you know, we still friends. It wasn't a graceful dismount. I just lost, and you know, it was what it was. Did you love doing the challenges? Love them. Love doing challenges. Challenges are fun. Like being a college athlete or ex-college athlete, you can't find that type of adrenaline rush. You can't replay those memories and those scenes for real. And the only chance to really be in front of a capacity audience is on these challenges. You know, I love that atmosphere. There's a lot of crap that goes on behind the scenes and they do act like children a lot of the time. I've never partaken in any of that, which is one of the reasons why I probably wasn't on any of the latter challenges too, because it just wasn't me. I don't kick up dust for no reason. I don't disrespect people to the point where that happens. I remain that flexible character that you can rely on in most challenges, uh, be it land, air, <laughs> or whatever it may be. And, you know, I don't like heights, but I do all that stuff. So my character was just kind of in the middle. I wasn't extreme on one end or the other, um, you know, so that kind of thing. And you did pretty well. You got some money out of that. I won. You know, I can always say that I won. Um, I made it to the end twice. Um, won one of them. Uh, made it halfway in the other three that I did. But, you know, it, it was an experience and, and I loved it. Um, and if, you know, if I get back on there, I'm definitely going to kick up some dust in not a drama kind of way, but, you know, in the kind of way that Cyrus does and just, just to be a force to be known and be someone that's being hurt. Who do you think is the best at the challenges other than yourself? I don't think I'm the best. I think I'm a decent challenger. I think I'm, I'm definitely in the top half of this um, concerning real world. Everyone else, those other shows, it's a little different, but um, I would say, uh, I mean, two people that I, three people that I just admire will always be, no matter what we do or say, is always going to be Durrell, CT. 
and you know, then there's the bananas. And, you know, he's, he's a champ, so I can't not put him in there. But I think I would not want to compete head to head against Darrell CT before bananas. And then there's Derek Rand for that for me. So. Those are good choices. Did you ever like when you were out and getting free stuff and going to all the clubs? Like, did you ever try to take the other real world people under your wings? Like, did they come to you and say, "How oh. is this all working?" Oh yeah, I, I I booked a lot of different cast members throughout the world. Like I said, um, it was more of a the the exact real world crew was saturated with a bunch of backstabbers when it came to business. They're doing something. Oh, they want to hide it, keep it secret, and don't allow other people to eat. I was like, come on, come on, let's all go eat. You know, and and it was a situation where I should. I could have made a lot more money and didn't even take money for it, which is booking them. And, you know, they weren't grateful enough. The majority of them were not grateful enough for me booking them and un- didn't understood what I went through to get them booked. And it was always a little issue. Like it, it's just, I don't know. I'm just not that kind of person. You know, I get it. You book someone, they book you. There should be some sort of finder's fee or whatever it may be. But yeah, greedy kids that had never had anything didn't look at it that way so but that's also another reason why i continue to do what i did for 20 plus years and a lot of them did their little stint and were done and you felt that's what happened like you booked them and they were just like some people for the most part people weren't very uh thankful for it i mean random tours with twix or toyota um snickers burger king i did so many different big corporation type companies that would just come in and, you know, throw money at me and we put it together and, and make it happen. And, and then like people was, just, uh, they weren't very thankful for what they were going through. And then, and then a lot of people were very disrespectful to the business, not showing up, not being on time, getting drunk, falling over, getting in a fight. Like there's just, you got to have some tact to this. So when you book an OG like myself, you know what you're getting. Someone that's going to be there, that's going to do his job, that's going to entertain, that's going to be attainable and going to have his head up and everyone's going to have fun. As opposed to some child banging out a beer bong and damn near passing out and falling over a table. You know, it's, you know, that was a difference between what I was doing and what some of the cast members were doing. Not all, but there was a majority of them that were just too much. And like, to your point, if you're getting money, you might as well be on time. It's not going to go over so well if you're not. not even not make the gig. Like people just wouldn't, you're supposed to be in Vermont tomorrow and you just don't show up. That happened quite a bit. And I'd have to figure out how I would deal with that from that point. And, you know, it, it just, there's a lot of different things like that. And people just weren't really ready for it and didn't respect it. But when you're making money like that, sometimes it goes through your head. You know, I, I, I worked so hard. I did four gigs in three States in one day. A lot of people couldn't even fathom that and that, you know, that was my life. That's what I wanted to do. And that's what I did at high level. I could fathom it. I've always said that if I had the opportunity, I would want to be booked every day, every night. If my rate was up here and I had an open night and you want to give me half my rate, I would take it. I would just want to be booked every minute that I could until that went away. That was like, we would work well together, but there was cast members that literally told me, uh, I need to go home and see my family. I can't do this. 
I mean, we've been on the road for two months. We got three months to go. And what? Instead of bringing home, you know, over 30 grand this month, you'd rather just go home. And I was like, okay, um, let me figure this out. But it was like things like that, that you, you know, it's part of the game though. I had to go through it and, and, and figure out who's who and what's what and how we can get get the best bang for a buck and enjoy that time. And my whole thing was like, look, if you are going to duck out, why would you even start? Like where I'm from, you start something, you finish it. And that's, that's just it. And I had a problem with our after school center because their whole theory was autonomy. You work with this kid on this project and all of a sudden I don't want to do it anymore. Smash the project and leave. What are you teaching this kid in life? I think a lot of those kids ended up on the show <laughs> and just had that mentality. So to me, you know, I just, I, you know, my grind is my grind. But I made, like I said, I made it a lifestyle, though. Some people didn't want it as a lifestyle. Right. But I wish they would let that be known ahead of time. You know what I mean? That makes sense. Did all of that, like, start to go away at some point? And then did you have the, like, you know, where are the cameras? Where are the flashbulbs? Like, you know, like fame could be a very addictive drug. Oh, yeah. You definitely get that. But, I mean, I still get noticed to this day. It's not like that's really gone. It's not like the way it was, of course. Um, I believe there was one point in time where uh, uh, I had a Chadwick from Road Rules was hating on me when Adidas had signed a contract with me and given me a bunch of stuff. And he tried to hate when he tried to get something from Adidas, I guess. And it was like, you gave stuff to Cyrus, he's old news. And da, da, da. I was like, wow. So I had to call this kid out, invite him to a, to a lunch on a busy Sunday afternoon at Venice Beach with the head of Adidas sitting with us. And I told him, don't worry about it. I'll take care of the bills. You guys order whatever you want. And then I brought up casually, oh, so um, being that I'm old news, uh, we're going to do a little test just so that the head can see you and me, how people respond to us. I had this hat on for a reason. And uh, I went to Sidewalk Cafe and I said, we're going to do this since, since you're young, fresh, and new, and you're supposed to be the new thing on the block. Don't you just walk right out, pull the round thing, walk right out into the middle of the walkway and uh, just hang out for a few minutes and we'll see how this works out for you. He's like, I don't want to do that. I was like, well, dude, you're here. She's here. I said, don't you want to see this? Cause I'm gonna show you what old news is. And she's like, yeah. And so he's like, he didn't want to when he went over there. Not one person recognized this dude. So I stood up, took my hat off and I walked into the center of the boardwalk. And I, you know, I can't tell you how many people I had around me. Signing autographs, taking pictures. And I yelled over to him, this is what OG looked like. Way before you, bigger than you'll ever be. You'll never be able to hold a match to this inferno. You took and it I, old school. And I said, get your food to go because you're no longer needed here. I don't want to be rude. And I walked over there and I said, but if you, my name never comes out your mouth again, I'll fuck you up because you're fucking with my business. And I said, pardon my French to her. And we sat down, we finished our lunch and we walked away. And she was like, that was done so eloquently. I was like, I guess I wanted to punch him in the mouth, but I probably shouldn't. And I was like, but thank you for coming to this meeting. And that's kind of how weird things got when these people don't understand, like in their minds, they're doing it for 10 pair of tennis shoes. I'm doing it to make a living, to be out here, to afford to wear the finer things in life <laughs> that I felt like I deserved. And I created something 
And, you know, it was one of those kind of things for me. And they get that competitive, like real world road They roles. did. There were some people that tried to, like I said, they tried to, and that's why people were trying to be sneaky and all that stuff on the side. But for me, like I said, it was a lifestyle. I ate, slept, and bred everything that I did. If I liked your product, I would wear your product until the end. If I created a product, it was the same kind of thing. Like, this is me. This is what I'm about. Like, my, my jewelry designer, you know, we're this. I always wear my man's stuff. I went to school with him. He's a stand-up dude. He's dope. Just laced me with my new, my new, one of my newest pieces that wow. I Shout out to the Lakers real quick. I like the LA ring. Thank you. Travis Walker keeps me right. And he always has. And he's with Double Cross Jewelry. It's Double Cross 925. Everything is custom. Um, Although he has a couple signature pieces too. He's the guy that, you know, that I stand up with. And we're working on the project together now. Uh, Because, you know, I I did jewelry for years. I own a jewelry store in Melrose for about five years. And I designed jewelry. So we're going to do some collabo stuff. And be looking for that soon. Because, you know, my website's up right now. My uh, blackdesignerclothing.com. Um, I do a bunch of t-shirts and hats. I So let's talk about black designer. How did you get into, like, how did you go from jewelry to t-shirts and hats? Well, I've always had the knack to design. And so this started back, back uh, just being in the hood, the hood in Santa Monica and just not being able to afford everything, especially when my stepdad went to jail. My mom had three kids she had to do by herself. You know, I, the vivid story I always like to tell is, I don't know if you remember the, I know you know the IZOD, the alligator. Yes. Back in the day, the fake IZOD was from Sears. It was a dragon. And it was like a dragon breathing fire. So if you had a dragon, all the kids would make fun of you. And they'd just be like, ah, dragon, like you're hot, you're not hot. Like whatever. So, you know, but it was half the price. So we would have the dragon. Literally, I would go in, take the stitching off, pull the dragon off, go to the thrift store, buy me a baby's eyes eye for like a dollar take the stitching off and sew it onto the other shirt and wear it and people never no one ever called me out no one ever noticed i started designing at a young age and i tell that story now that's when black designer was born it was born out of necessity to fit in and i did that and started doing that forever i've had several different clothing lines throughout the years um the first one that i had on the show was called god dog clothing and it was like, if God doesn't discriminate against man, and it was kind of like a flip. If you flip God over, it spells dog. So it was a God all clothing. And I did that mm-hmm. for, I did okay. And from there, I had Clash Inc. and uh, designed with Beverly Hills Pimps and Hoes and BHPH and Beverly Hills Kings. And, like, there's been so many different lines. And now I just decided, you know what? I have several different concepts. I'm going to push them all into one and put this out. And Black Design and Clothing was born. And you love what you do. Yeah, I mean, the stuff we had before has been on everyone from from Snoop Dogg to Gwen Stefani. I mean, big names have been all in our gear. And so it's like when I put myself in position to do that kind of thing, my truckers were at Fred Siegel going for 250 bucks, a trucker hat. Like I did my thing for quite some time. And so now with all the time during COVID, I started back just designing. Like, let me get to this and try and figure this out. But I never designed on a computer. Never done anything on a computer. And this is my first time building the site and designing the clothes. I'm just like, well, like this is a lot. My brain was going to explode. And the fact that it's actually up right now and you can go on and click a button <laughs> and buy something is insane. I'm still sitting here now. I'm like, wow, this is one of my latest pieces. This is my LA Unity piece. I like I just, that. I want the LA sign, but you know, got the white in between color and then the dark color. So, um, 
just putting out a message and, and, and trying to be, trying to associate myself with the betterment of humanity as much as I can while still showing my blackness and showing how beautiful black really is. And, and to be black doesn't mean I have to be the most militant man on the block because I grew up surfing. Let's let it be known. I grew up surfing. Some of my best friends in the world are white. My woman's white. It is what it is. But she's all about humanity, bringing things together, not separating things like that, bringing things together. And my first clothing line was, my second clothing line was called Clash Inc. And it was clashing together all these different styles. And, and then I came out with a reggae line too that was called Rocksta. And it was like merging the punk rock vibe with the spikes and studs in with the red, gold, and green. And so like, I'm still on that same concept and I still in my mind, I believe that we can all get along together and live beautiful lives and achieve all the dreams we want. And I always feel like that. And the cup is never half empty. It's always half full. And, and that's, that's me in a nutshell. And that's just how I feel and, and how I want to live my life and the people I want to surround myself with. You know, this current administration, they're more about dividing things than I think it's ever been. And this country's feeling like it's back in the 60s a lot right now. And if, I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat, but if you are voting for someone that will not denounce racism and clearly racist groups are tagging along with you, I can't really fuck with you. Call a spade a spade. I can't fuck with you. Oh, he's not racist. Are you fucking kidding me? Like I'm losing my mind. But at the same point in time, let's just do our job be American, vote, hopefully educate yourself enough. Don't listen to all the actual lies coming out of these politicians. It is insane when you have an interview and you're asked 30 questions and 27 of them you lie about because you know Americans aren't smart enough to dig deeper and find out the truth. The shit is just crazy. Like, you know, it's like do your, do your own research. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I get it. Anything can be skewed depending on who's saying it. But numbers are numbers, facts are facts. And then double and triple check those facts if you have to. But the fact is, I will never vote for a racist. Do you see an uptick in your clothing, you know, now just because of everything going on in the world, you know, and that it has a message kind of associated with it? Um, yes and no. It's weird because people that know me understand what I'm about and how that's going to be. And I'll purchase on that alone. Um, I think it's actually probably gone against me a little bit. The fact that I named it Black Designer Clothing. Some people didn't like that. And I'm getting some lashback. I'm like, what, what do you mean? I'm a black designer. <laughs> like, okay, I do enjoy wearing black as well. Take it how you want to take it. Majority right. will be black. Maybe not black theme, but it'll be black shirt. It'll be a black hat. It'll be a black cup. It'd be black, like, you want to make it into something that it's not, then go right ahead. I can easily block and delete you and go on to the next, which is fine. It ain't for everybody, like I always say. But I'm going to be heard. I'm going to say what I have to say. And I'm going to be classy enough saying it to where if you're offended, then cool. If you're not offended, then, you know, that's right. Is there a lot of, cause like, you know, I'm more heavily versed in the Bravo world and there is a ton of like interactive, like social media hate. Like, is there like a real world road rules click where there's just like a lot of drama on social media? Like this one's trashing that one. Cause I don't see a ton of it, but I'm not as well versed. Well, when it first, uh, 
not when it first, but this whole movement, uh, you know, I'll say Black Lives Matter, although I'm not 100% for Black Lives Matter because of who owns it and who runs it. If people do their research, they'll understand that, that Mr. Sarnos is a known racist and always has been. But I do believe the movement didn't work out the way he wanted to work out. <laughs> More people jumped on and it became this humongous multicultural thing. And it wasn't just black people. And then you have a difference in what I think the direction of it was. It is what it is. Um, I'll say BLM, I don't believe in the, the, the company, but I do believe it brought a lot of people together for one of the biggest movements in the history of our country. But I think like once that hit and like, I don't know if you know who Dee is, Dee was on one of the challenges. Um, yeah. The things that she said, she got it bad. She got banned and kicked off and everything else happened. So there's like uh, the challenge T is uh, the challenge T the the challenge um, is also another handle on on IG. They post all these different dramas, and it's also uh, uh, overdose. The challenge overdose too. There's a bunch of them like that, and they're all kind of tied in. And they they basically um, post different postings and feuds that have taken place throughout the uh, drama times. And there's always something on there. Stuff that happened to Corey. You know, Corey's a good friend of mine. He's on Team Mom. Uh, his new baby's mama, his second baby mama, <laughs> uh, made some statements about African-American men. Uh, I think she made a statement that that African-American women's genitalia must stink. Said something crazy, like on Twitter years before him. They dug that up, kicked her off. But she said she tried to leave before that. And there's been so much stuff like that uh. out there. And, you know, call us made his faith. People can change, but if you said something, you said it. If you did something, you did it. If you feel so entitled to post something like that, you should have to suffer the consequences. And I tip my hat to the companies that are just dogging people on that. I love it. If you did it, you did it. And, you know, then like, like what Yelp is doing right now is pretty cool too. Yelp is going to have a section basically for discrimination. If you've been discriminating against whatever, you can check it off and like call that company out. And that's what I think we need more of. If you call people out, hit them in their pockets, a lot of people have changed their mentalities in the end. People are able to hide that for years. And, ah, smile on your face. <laughs> yeah, give me that money. Whatever. Now it's like, you want to be a dick about it, call them out. I like that. Right, like Bravo's let a bunch of people go this year. And they should. You know, if you, if you stepped up to the plate and you had something that was that insensitive to say, for whatever reason, you know, bad things have happened to, to everyone from opposite races throughout time. It's always going to be like that. There's good apples and bad apples. But for, to make you live up to what you're saying, I love it. I live up to anything that I say. Do you watch a lot of reality TV or just none at all? I watch everything reality. I you do? Say, one of my favorite shows right now has got to be 90 Day. 90 Day Fiance and 90 Day The Other Way. And Love After Lockup, I love that. Have you seen Love After <laughs> They're all, they're, listen, they're all good. Yeah, I watch, I mean, uh, I've worked behind the scenes for so many shows, man, that, you know, I'm reality. And I still write reality shows. I've written several that I'm pitching right now. Do you watch any Bravo, like Vanderpump Rules, any of the Housewives? Vanderpump Rules is a, is a little more con- constructed. <laughs> and it's not really real. It's more like the hills. Right. I watch a little bit of it if I, if I, if I come across it. But for the most part, you know, I'm not really into to that one show like that. Housewives... 
is kind of the same thing. I'm gonna check it out because they got a new. They're putting a African American woman on Housewives. We'll see how that's gonna be. And the Bachelor is gonna be black. It should be interesting. I just want to see America's take on that. You know, when you when you mix in or try to diversify some of these things, like the Country Music Awards, when they put Beyonce on, I'm sure you're aware of all the backlash she got. Yeah, they went crazy online, and real racists really start coming out. And they really start stating what they felt. And when you start seeing something like they had to take it off air because of this, you get a real sense of what America's like. And there's a lot of people out there that that are not down with anything being swirled or, or changed up. And they're so used to the norm. Um, I try not to keep those people in my stable. Yeah. You know, I'd invite them in for any kind of conversation to help educate them if they'd like to be educated or just see what my perception is from the other side, I'm fine with that. Any kind of dialogue. I don't care who you are, what you are. I love that. Uh, another show I watch a lot is Hate Thy Neighbor. Have you seen the show? No. You got to check out Hate Thy Neighbor. It's this, uh, I think he's half Jewish and half black. He's like a, I think he's a, a black Jewish dude, but he's a comedian. And he's also like a reporter. And he goes and interviews all these people, part of various groups that don't like another group for whatever reason. It's called uh, Hate. And is it is it on Netflix or? It is probably now too, but it's on Vice. Okay. So he'll go interview like a, a Klansman or a white supremacist in their house, and talk about all these different things and and kind of clown them, but not really, but kind of take that footage and go back and do stand up. <laughs> that's interesting it's amazing and they attack everything from like uh the hatred in sports you know from soccer teams in like england to like racial issues over there too and he attacks it from all those different angles and they talk about it it's it's pretty dope and he actually some places like he's banned from like you know you're supposed to come to this cross burning and you know they don't they don't want you there it wouldn't be good if you come like you and he's like, what? Like, I'm here. I'm across the street. You can't come in. <laughs> like, it's pretty funny. Are you shocked at how far reality TV has come, just in general? No, I knew it would be as big as it is, or even bigger. Um, there's no way you can get raw emotion like that. I think when they changed it to this scripted reality format, um, it solidified it even more in a lot of people's minds, unless you're a real reality head. You look at it, you're like, wow. Like, they actually told them to go outside and come back in because they didn't get the right angle. No. One time, one go. If they miss it, they miss it. And our entire production team took pride in that, in, in getting the right shot at the right time and creating the story so that you visually can see it from the other side. And that's what it was more about then. It was reality for the camera people and reality for the production. I mean, I'm sorry, for the cast. That was a beautiful thing. Now... The only part of reality that you get is the fact that they don't have a piece of paper telling you exactly what to say. And I've been at certain filmings where I've seen pieces of paper held up. It's ridiculous. Like I said, that's, that's, they should cut the line. This is scripted reality television. And this is reality television. There's a definite difference. Kind of. And you never had to do any of that with the real world. Like walk back in twice. Do whatever you want to do and say whatever you want to say. That's what I'm from. And that's what I believe in. And that's what I ride with. I got on my show being brutally honest 
and telling the truth. And I still believe in that. It got me so much in my life that, you know, it's still, still how I get down today. And you never had producers say like, well, shouldn't you be upset about this, Cyrus? Shouldn't you be sad? Nothing like that. Wow. No, no, that's, that's not the brand I'm from at all. And before we go, I have to ask you, how did you, Puck, and Julie end up in an Eminem video? <laughs> I got a phone call, man, from him himself. And just trying to, you know, they just asked me. I thought it was a joke to start. And, he, you know, said he wants to do a skit about the real world. and wants to put me on. I was like, let's get it. So I, I was able to knock out Eminem. It ended up being video of the year um, and won all kind of awards and actually it actually helped my career. I think a lot at that time too. Uh, it was one of those things. It was between challenges and it was like a, a really awkward period where I was just touring and I wasn't, you know, honing in on television and I, I probably should have been, but that right there kind of put me back in the public's eye and had me moving for a while. And that, that I remember that red shirt was a shirt that I had designed too. I'm wearing a red and black top. Uh, it was actually really, really, really cool. But um, it was a good time, man. We spent a 12-hour you know, day with Eminem <laughs> in this beginning. It was real cool. And, like, the phone rings and it's actually Eminem. It's not, like, his people or his people's people. Well, the first time it was his people when I thought it was a joke. And then he called it was him. And I still thought it was a joke. And then realized it was actually him. <laughs> and what's Eminem like? At, at the time, he was very reserved and... Um, he was reserved, but yet funny, you know, a, a jokester. He was, he was a cool dude to work with, man. Um, I think uh, based off of his music, he was going through some things at that time for sure. And I think music actually helped him release a lot of those things and, and kind of get it out there so that he can actually heal and deal. So. And final question, do you, cause you're around it all the time. Like you said, do you ever get starstruck? I mean, you live in LA, but I mean, still there's, the Beyonce's of the world, like, or do you just never get starstruck? I think uh, the one time I can remember being starstruck was uh, I couldn't speak meeting Madonna. I was in a room. There was like four people in a room and she was saying hello to me and I, nothing would come out. I just was like, literally, I don't know how that even happened. And uh didn't remember that whole thing and my boy's like dude you literally froze like in the movies you fucking froze i was like yeah she still hugged me <laughs> yeah she did but she was uncomfortable she didn't know what to do and i was like wow but you know it, it's it's odd when you have people like like i said robert de niro saying what's up or <laughs> or like uh marky mark or whatever Paulberg. so it, it's always an odd thing well, Madonna is my queen of the world. So let's just back up for three seconds before you go. Where did you meet Madonna? This was the uh, MTV Awards. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if it was the one. Well, J-Lo grabbed my hand at this one. I was sitting behind Usher with a cow jacket on at Universal Studios. This is the year Marilyn Manson's girl came in the chain dress. We were right Ro behind. Rose McGowan, I think. Yes. And okay. We were right behind them walking in on the red carpet and uh j-lo's walking up the stair the stairwell next to me and as she's coming to me with her five bodyguards she puts her hand out 
And I was like, wow. And I'm like holding her hand and she's walking up. And fucking Puck goes, damn, she got a fast out loud. And they literally snatched her arm back and scurried her way up the stairs. I was like, wow. I'm like, Puck, why the hell did you just do that, bro? But it was like one of those moments. I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> that was pretty odd. And then yeah. you were just backstage somewhere? The other thing was like that quick. Um, we were in the um, like the cocktail. There's like there's like a cocktail area, then a VIP, and then a VIP VIP. We were back in a VIP VIP. Uh, this is a while ago because I remember getting a Long Island iced tea. <laughs> okay, well that's a long time ago. Yes, <laughs> Long Island iced tea. We've all been there. Yes. So I got the Long Island iced tea, and uh, I turned around. I noticed some people over there, but I you know, didn't really pay attention. Talking to my man, and I looked, and I was like, it's Madonna. And as I looked, and I was like, Madonna, from afar, she's like, we locked eyes at the same time. And she started coming toward me. And I was like, and she just kept coming. But I, and I looked at my boy. I kind of like grabbed his back. And as I turned, she was just right there. She was like, hey, how are you? And I was like, whoa. It was... <laughs> it's one of those moments. It was so weird. Did you recognize you from the real world? Do you think? I assume I, I literally kind of like blanked out. I would be on the floor dead. So I understand. She like, and like I said, she hugged me. Whisked on by. That was it. I mean, J Lo is a pretty close second. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was interesting. Wow. Well, listen, thank you for your time. Where can everyone find you? Where can everyone find your clothing? You've been, it's, I could talk to you for like seven hours because I mean, I don't know how we end with Madonna and JLo. But tell us where we can find you. You can find me, all my social media handles are Cyrus, S-Y-R-U-S, M-T-V. Um, that's Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok. And then all my clothing, you can get to from my social media as well. But it's blackdesignerclothing.com. Um, Go on and check it out. Everything right now is very affordable. I think uh, going into next month, my prices will go up a little bit, not too much, but everything's going to go up to where it should be. Um, for my birthday and my launch, I kept the prices down. So uh, the time is now. The time it's, is- it's great stuff. I really appreciate it. Thank you for pushing your run off to chat with us. Sorry you got locked in your bedroom. <laughs> I'm out now. I'm free. I'm free. <laughs> Tell your girl, thank you for letting you chat with me. From the bedroom. I really appreciate it. We'll keep in touch. I'll let you know when this is coming out. And I really appreciate your time. Cool, man. Thank you so much. Blessings, everybody. Thank you, Cyrus. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear... Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're Behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. 
or head on over to Patreon because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.